how do you go about making your voice sound like someone else's? And why would you? I'll be chatting to a bunch of people who can answer those questions and many more as they reveal the dark arts of impressionists. I'm Simon Lipson, and this is Making an Impression. I'm joined today by composer, writer, comedian, actor, and of course, impressionist, Duncan Wisby. How are you, Duncan? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yeah, I'm well. I'm very well indeed. And it's great to have you on. You are a Dead Ringers regular. How long have you been doing Dead Ringers? Oh, well, it must be at least four years because I remember the, all the 2016 stuff. I'm going to go for six. I'm going to go for six years. Six years, six years. Because I, I still like to call myself a former Dead yeah. Ringers regular, but I only actually did series one. But still, it's on my CV and I don't care. You're doing the show at the moment, aren't you? You're doing it remotely. We're going to record one, uh, what will be tomorrow now, but when this goes out, will be last week. So there's, this morning, uh, the usual thing has come out, the email from our producer, Bill Dare, saying, these are the voices that may be on the show tomorrow. And I guess uh, we've all been then going on YouTube and our various different things, looking people up and then sending him samples. And then tomorrow at 11 o'clock, we will have a Zoom meeting. And we'll go, can you hear me? No, and I can't see you, but I can hear him and I can only hear an echo of myself. <laughs> and then we'll run through the script and sort of have an audition off, which is quite a, a bit of frustrating process, actually. But it, I, mean, mm. I don't know if there's any other way of doing it. And then two o'clock, we'll get on clean feed of the actual show in our own little... Well, I'm in my studio. Lewis mm-hmm. is in his studio in Scotland. Debs is in a... Uh, Deborah Stevenson is in a cupboard under the stairs in Brighton or somewhere. And John and Jan both go to studios. I interviewed Lewis uh, a few weeks ago, actually, and he was speaking to me from his car because he had built a studio at home but had forgotten to put ventilation in. So (laughs) it's like a sweat box in there that's absolutely boiling. I'm fascinated by the the voice-off thing, you know, the auditions, because it was one of the things I found utterly frustrating about being on dead ringers the idea that you know who can do who can do x and you don't you know three of us have put our hands up and yeah. we'd all have this voice off and occasionally i think do you know what i think i on that one i got it better than john i got it better than alistair and i still wouldn't get it and <laughs> do you find it was all, all got a bit macho for me and in the end i i kind of stopped trying to be honest and, you know, just if, if, he, if he gave me a voice, I'd do it. Uh, but other than that, I wouldn't compete. You've been there for six years. Presumably it's something you, you've got the temperament to, to cope with, or does it drive you barmy? I try to remember that we're all in the same, we're all feeling the same thing. So when you think you've done a good one and then Bill goes, um, oh, I'm going to go with John. And you go, oh, no, I thought I'd edged it. But then you have to remember times when, for instance, there was a time Farage first came in, into the news, and John was all set to do Farage. He did rehearsed. He had a brilliant, lovely Farage. And then Bill said, oh, we're supposed to be able to check anybody else. And Lewis did one, and he ran this speech. And we all just sat back, and John Colshaw just said, that is a barnstorming Farage. And he said, I'm sorry, but I think Lewis has to do that. And then Lewis got that part, and it was one of the best parts for about three years. And it, yeah. the same thing with me with David Davis. Again, mm. John, John was really wanted to do it. 
and and he had his David, and then we we sat round, and I explained my version of David was was this thing of oh he's always getting looking for stuff, and I think we have got a Brexit plan, but I'm not sure where it is. I think my wife's found it. Well, it might be there, might be a plan, and all this. And John was just yeah. laughing at off, and he he said, I love that. I really love that angle, that character you've made. For me, that was a massive character that became the Brexit bulldog. It was a regular for ages. And all thanks yeah. to John for just being so so generous with it, you know. So yeah. you know, I was to remember those things that there are times when you do win. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> honest about it, really, you know. But it is tough. It's quite, yeah. It, it can be, can't it? And I do remember once doing a voice-off with John Colshaw, Cliff Richard it was, and we, we were singing yeah. a, a parody. Um, I did my bit first, and then John did his bit. And Bill goes, oh, I think I'll go with John. Uh, but John, can you do it like Simon? I think that is telling me, isn't it? Really, uh, you're not going to, you're not getting anything. Um, so, what are your, what have you put yourself up for for this week? What are your voices that you're hoping to well, nail? Um, I'm hoping that there might be a bit, a bit more rub as there was last week. But I'd love to hear your rub because I was, I was taught yeah. rub by oh. I can't remember somebody. Taught me, you know, I've done so many of these interviews now, and I cannot remember who taught me Rob. Suffice <laughs> it to say, I couldn't do it. Um, just, I'd love to hear that because he's, he's so bland, isn't he? Yeah, that's the problem, and that's a tr- that's a tricky thing, isn't it? With a lot of politicians now, they're all basically a version of Tony Blair, and um, the way they all do the same hands. Even you see Johnson doing those those hands, those Blair hands, and all that sort of mm. thing. And Rob. I just found watching him. He's, he's with me. I think he's he's trying to be very helpful, and he's got this little upwards thing at the end. And what we got to remember, and he's got a slight worth thing going on. I always imagine that he's going to say to the presenter, you know, have you uh, looked at uh, renewing your mortgage? Because I could help you with that. You know, we thought about uh, a plan. Have you thought about your finances? You know, he's sort of. But we've we've been playing him um, as this very kind of scared schoolboy. You know, that every time he gets in front of the mic, he's a bit sort of. <laughs> He's slightly terrified. <laughs> you mentioned David Davis. Are there other voices that you have claimed ownership of? Oh well, yes. I think uh, I think I'm I'm probably Roos Mogg now. I think what happens if if you present something in the room, sort of thing, and then you go out and you do it in front of the crowd, and it really, really lands, and they hook onto it. I find what happens then. What happened with the Brexit bulldog, for instance? was then the writers come back next week and they've written something for that performance that you that you did. We had Juncker on a few series ago and it was all this thing about Hugh. Uh, what to do, Hugh, whenever he was talking to Hugh Edwards. And it was yeah. just a thing I was kind of playing. I think there was one bit of that in the script and then I added a few. And then he came back next week and there was all this Hugh, Hugh. What are you going to do, Hugh? And all that sort of stuff. Suddenly it's this huge regular thing going on. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing. If you offer something up, you give a sort of an angle that the writers then go, oh, we love that. You yeah. go away and they've written it for you. Yeah. I think that's the way to land it, really. There is that element of claiming it i used to do ronnie corbett that was my thing on on the show oh. we used to, we used to do a bunch of there'd be like five or six gags at the end and i would be like, so so what happened very good blah 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 and they do that right at the end ronnie so no one else would touch ronnie corbett you kind of have to invent something it's not just right. enough is it with a, an impression just to do the voice i mean we, we all aim for accuracy but in the end, something like Dead Ringers, which is comedy, and I used to do a lot of uh, stand-up, 
you've got to get the voice pretty close. But actually, mm. it's the joke that really matters and, and winding the joke in somehow with the character that you've created uh, because they're snapshots, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, for instance, with the, with the Juncker thing, I, I've got to be honest with you, it happened, we had the read-through, and Bill said, uh, Juncker, anybody? And nobody put their hands up and said, I'll have a go. Mm. So what's it sound like when everybody went, I don't really know. <laughs> so I just kind of made up this voice like this, and um, it seemed to go well with the crowd. And then, and then I actually, in the end, I thought, should I now go away and listen to him? And get his yeah. voice right and I thought no because they liked that and everybody in the room liked that and the crowd liked it and it went yeah. well on the show in the on the radio I thought no that's that's him now we've made yeah. him him it's you, you sort of have to lift it out of just a, a straight impression also because it's in front of the audience although what's happening now of course last week we had our first lockdown version Bill was talking very much about having to pull the performances back and what also was interesting was we were able to talk over each other a bit more, improvise a bit more. Yeah. Whereas when we do, as you'll remember, on the on the radio, you, you can't talk no. over each other because of the edit and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So Bill was very keen for us this time with the, and uh, with these the ones that we're recording remotely, pull down the caricature, put, make it a bit more natural. And we were able to, yeah, to sort of free it up a bit. So it's going to slightly change the show. Of course, it's much more political now. It's very rare that we have actors or comedians or those kind of characters on now. It's it's almost 100% politics. You can't really do your favourite people. You know, you've got to look people up all the time. When Bill sends out the, the requests for voices, it's all, you always have to look them up. They're not people you regularly do in the pub. Well, who, who are your favourite voices? I mean, your current favourite voices. Well, what I, uh, I very often get asked to do is, Jules Holland, thank you very much. Uh, which always goes down very very well in... Um, I tell you what, I talk of stand-up, you're talking of stand-up. Yeah. A few years ago, I did a few things in cabaret with people like Steve First and Alex Lowe with his, his Barry from Watford character. Yeah. Uh, very often I go on with Lewis McLeod and people and we sort of muck about. And I was thinking, well, what's my way in? And, you know, having seen impressionists on stage, they come out and they go, oh, who's this coming down the road? And then they do the voice. And so I found actually Jules Holland was a brilliant way in. And I would get them to introduce me, to bring me on stage as Jules Holland. And I come on and you get that thing in the crowd and look at me going, hang on, that's not Jules Holland. And then I come on and I grab the mic and go, thank you very much. And there's a way, you're already away, you know. And then from there, I can interview people on stage. So well, my first guest, ladies and gentlemen, is Paul McCartney. Thanks very much, Jules. It's great to be here, you know, and have a big chat. And um, <laughs> go into a whole thing, actually chatting between the two of them and then introduce a third character. and, and all. So he's a great sort of basis for for that kind of act. I used yeah. to do that with Melvin Bragg, I think. I mean, I go back a long time, you know, oh, good evening, uh, here on the South Bank show, we have, uh, you know, Billy Codley. Yeah. Well, I can't even do the bloody impression anymore. And that was a great <laughs> way of kind of knitting together lots of yeah. different people. Other voices that you do that you know them to be below your top standard, but when you do them, they blow people away for, for whatever reason. Yeah, well, I tell you what, weirdly enough, the one I most often get asked to do in voiceovers and things, which could not be further from me than you could have possibly imagine, is Morgan Freeman. I've yeah. done so much commercials. I had to do a guide for him that he was actually going to do a voiceover and um, a narration. And I didn't want to obviously get him in to do, to do the guide. Yeah. And I had to do the whole thing as him. Man, because also I think what I found out is that very often... The standard impression of people, obviously, as they age, changes. 
now he kind of sounds, he's quite gravelly now and sounds a lot older than he used to and all that, and everything's a little stretched out and all that sort of stuff. Interesting how you do that, because your natural pitch is, I guess, sort of in the middle, perhaps middle to high, would you say, your natural yeah. pitch? Oh, yeah. Whereas mine is, you know, way down here. So it's when I'm doing, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman, I, I just end up doing, uh, you know, like that, and that kind of gravelly thing, because it's very easy for me yeah. to hit that pitch. Whereas you're having to kind of manufacture the gravel. You're doing it brilliantly, obviously. And what, are you doing something... Can you feel yourself doing something in oh, your yeah. throat? I'm pulling, pulling back the the tongue a little, opening a space at the back there of the throat, if it's, and 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 maybe pushing it up towards the back of the staff palate there, and relaxing everything a bit, and that, yeah. getting that kind of chamber open a little. If I've got to do people with a bigger engine or whatever you want to call it, as I've heard it called before, um, I would go to a sort of John Lennon. To warm in, you know that's very quite hard, but it's I'm feeling that's really stretching the back of the throat doing that, and then from there to you know you know how you can kind of reshape the yeah. throat kind of way to get to get those or to open the the chamber of the mouth a little there to get that kind of size or whatever. When you take on a a new voice, do you come do you come at it? Bless you. Do you, do you come at it from the kind of the forensic side so you you hear a voice and you think okay this is going to require me to to do this with my throat this is going to require me to to occlude the sound to change my delivery from my you know just do something with my lips or my tongue or are you think is it an instinctive first moment where you think oh, I, yeah, I can hear that and i can kind of feel how to reproduce it and then you start working it and then you start to think where it's all coming from well, I sometimes, I'm very musical. So very often, um, for instance, when Bill Dare sends us the, the people to look at, if I'm watching, you know, I go straight to YouTube, start listening to interviews, and I just get the headphones on, and I start talking along with them to try and get the rhythm first and the music of it, try and get the sounds of how they're, you know, whether they go up and down or whether they make long phrases or, and then start thinking about the uh, the chamber or whatever we might call it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I tend to just, what I do is I just tend to record myself on my phone doing that. They listen to it back and go, oh, no, that's too reedy or that's too, you know, breathy or whatever. Try have another go. Just go over and over and over it. But very often that thing of trying to think, well, who do they sound like? Who else that I do already do they sound like that I can kind of start from and, and you know, tweak that person or whatever? Because they always are, aren't they? There's always something <laughs> But it is this a categorization thing, isn't there? And Alistair yeah. McGahn talked about this on the podcast. That you know, he said that he's been doing it for such a long time that that he can kind of put every voice into a kind of a category, little pocket. So that yeah. one's a bit like that. You know, he would do dot cotton going into step toe, and these, they were very much in the same area. Rory Bremner was chatting the, the other day about how Louis Walsh <laughs> becomes Donald Trump. And he, yeah. dem he demonstrated it seamlessly, and you thought, "Yeah, wow!" And so, so you are you are using that method of kind of plucking out voices from your back catalogue so that you can match them and, and and use those tones or use those accents to inform the next voice. 
Yeah, well, that's something that Alistair actually taught me because, I mean, Alistair is the reason why I do voices professionally anyway, because before I met him, I was just doing acting and and impressions was something I did in the pub. And I I met him, it was in Nottingham at the theatre there, because at the time, his girlfriend was one of the stage managers there. And he'd just been in a play. And I said, I've seen, that's that. This was before he got his first series. Yeah. That's Alice McGowan. I've seen him on the tele. I really like him. And, and um, he was dead ringers and everything. I went over and chatted to him. We had a lovely, really long chat. And I ended up being on his first series. And he taught me. Yeah, he taught me so much. And looking at the mouth was one of the things. He said, always look at the shape of the mouth. Yes. And actually, the reason why I do jewels is because of, because of Alistair. He said, right, I'm going to learn him. You've got to learn him. And we're going to have jewels off in a month. And we did the same with Anthony Worrell Thompson. So I did that and I watched Jules and with, what I was finding with Jules was I, I could see his energy. I was thinking he's somebody who goes around a studio pointing things out. This is this person. That's that person over there. Look at this person. He reminds me very much of, of Peter Snow. You know, he used to, go, he used to walk around the, the, the studios of, of uh, now look at here, oh, Tony Blair over here and he's going to have to have a 30% swing to the left here and all those very important, very exciting, all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, no, he's more up here and then I took Alistair's note of watching the mouth and I noticed he has a very thin stretched sort of mouth and as soon as I applied that I realized that's where the the vibration is it's right at the front it's all right at the front there it's not back here there it's right at the front here and there is Jules you know and uh, we had our little Jules off and he said you've got it but bringing the voice to the front of the mouth you thin it you thin it out don't you I always actually used to try and do him from the the back of the throat, and I realised that's that was why I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I, I heard, I kind of heard him up here, you know. Yeah. And I realised that's that's a kind of a croaky thing stuck in yeah. the back. And you're absolutely right; it needs to be. But that's because of Alistair's pointing that that yeah. trick out to me a bit. But I also also again another musical thing is I very often refer to sort of musical instruments. Are they a bassoon? Are they an oboe? Are they a, a clarinet? Oh. You know, Maka to me is a clarinet. It's an open kind of. Well, I think of a clarinet is that sort of sound. It's very open. It's a very wooden, hollow sort of sound. And if I apply that to to Marker, obviously now he's a bit more jowly and a bit more like that now, you know. But, but <laughs> you, you, you know, to younger Marker, especially is this sort of yeah. It's, but again, it's a, he's a little he's a little barn owl, isn't he? <laughs> I did a thing recently for a, a wonderful scientist called a Professor Sophie Scott. And she does a lot of stuff about the brain and, and uh, she scanned my brain doing impressions. And I very often go and do talks for her. And one of the things I do for in that is show how the, what I call the mask. So Paul's got this kind of owl mask, you know, his big eyes like that and a little beak right at the front, you know, and the head slightly like a nodding dog is kind of wobbling around it. But then I did this thing for them that they, for, for these students that were saying, right, so leave the mouth where it is with the bottom lip down there like that there. Slightly close the eyes, pull everything down a little like this and change the accent. And then you have a totally different person is right here talking about walls, building walls and Mexicans and all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, they love watching the sort of transformation of it, you know, yeah. from um, just just by just the way you can just move the the face around. I'm interested in what you said a little earlier about how you had treated impressions as your kind of your pub thing. You know, the guy you yeah. entertain your friends in the pub. I can sound a bit like this. I can sound a bit like that. 
do you ever feel, as a lot of people I've spoken to do feel, and I know I always felt this throughout my career, that there's an element of party trick about what we're doing. And yeah. it falls to us to elevate them from, you know, little sort of special act, like a juggler, you know, it's a little mm. thing, and, and make it something more substantial. And then clearly people like Alistair and Rory and, and Lewis and, and so on have elevated it. They turned it into its own little art form, whereas, as Rory Bremner was saying, Steve Coogan just didn't, didn't rate the art form. He thought it was a, a low art form and therefore, as brilliant as he was as an impressionist, he, he actually withdrew from that to mm. do something that he considered to be a little bit more artistically highbrow i mean the, the primary purpose of it is always to to entertain isn't it you know i mean mm -hmm. I, I mean dead ringers is is very satirical i mean it's and it's getting more and more satirical because we've been pushed by the bbc team the the, the writers and everybody being pushed by the bbc to go more political they want it to get more and more satirical so it's a slightly different job there mm. because you are representing something political you're actually making a point and asking the questions and all that sort of stuff. It's very different, I guess, to sitting around in the pub and going, aren't I silly? But, I mean, the primary job of it is always to entertain, isn't it? And it's always... Unless, of course, you know, I mean, I do. I have done jobs where I've had to do verbatim things where you've got to... Somebody's skipped a line in a movie or the mic wasn't working, you've got to go in and you've got to fill in and then you have got to get really, really accurate. Who have you done that for, out of, out of interest? Who, who have you revoiced? Well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm technically not allowed to say because I have, oh. I have, you have to sign non-disclosure thing, which is a shame because... <laughs> but theoretically, <laughs> th theoretically, who, who could you stand in for? Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> um, I... Theoretically, have stood in for somebody who I may have mentioned at some point is, has a very different voice to my own. Lots of people, really. Lots of different people. And actually, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the, the work of sitting and listening and going over and over again, trying to, trying to get it more and more accurate. I did a job, an acting job at the National Theatre. It was a, a show called London Road, which was a verbatim. Oh, yes. Yeah, it became a film, didn't it? That's right. Yeah, we filmed yeah. it as well, yeah. And I, had, I played several characters in that, but my main one was this character, Gordon, who was uh, one of the locals and he was a bit sort of like that. And um, we all really enjoyed the act because it was all about getting it absolutely 100% accurate to the breaths and the movement and everything. You had to be totally bang on with it. And I actually really enjoyed that. A lot of the other actors found it really slavish and like, oh, I hate the fact that... I can't be free to express yeah. or accentuate things how I want to, but I actually really enjoyed it because <laughs> it was just about getting it right, about getting it exactly right. And when you went on stage, you knew if you got it right, you were right. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? If you were accurate, <laughs> you were right. And I, I quite enjoyed that because it's something very technical. Impressions are technical though, aren't they? I think people always yeah. assume that, you know, it's a, it's a little gift and we, we've got a good ear and we can hear accents, we can hear voices. But as you've already shown, you know, there is a strong technical element to this. Mm. I'm, I was going to ask you, hope you don't mind, because I don't normally say to my guests, do this one for me. Um, but <laughs> I really, I really want you to do Anthony Hopkins. Well, I, I guess I've always enjoyed a little bit of Tony. He sounds a little different these days as well. I suppose I sort of play him probably from about 10 years ago. That is probably my impression where I'm placing him now. 
Whereas I watched him recently, he's more like that. <laughs> I watched those um, Twitter videos of him recently talking to people about you've got to respect things and you've got to love things. And he's getting much more intense. Mm. I think I usually, um, in fact, I've done him out on in a stand-up before. Oh, right. It's the yeah. kind of thing that you think, who on earth is going to stand on stage in a comedy gig and do Anthony Hopkins? But I came on and I did this whole routine. It was for one of Steve First's uh, Lenny Beige gigs of him saying, and I'm now going to take it from my record collection. And I used him as my sort of, instead of Jules, I made him my, my anchorman. I've got this wonderful record. It's Noel Coward singing Amy Winehouse's Rehab. Have you ever heard it before? And then I, and then I would do Noel Coward singing Rehab. <laughs> <laughs> what was really weird was, was seeing the crowd yeah. lean forward and listen. Yeah. And they really listened because I, I really played it down and I, I did the whole, well, very, you know, quiet and slightly like this sort of thing. And you could see them really kind of, they're really there with me. Yeah. And it did. And what was great is it took away the pressure of, oh, I've got to get a laugh, I've got to get a laugh, I've got to get a laugh, because they were kind of just enjoying that that character, you know. And that yeah. But we, I had um, Charlie Hopkinson on as a young impressionist, just absolutely brilliant. And he's only sort of just recently started as a stand-up. But what he told me was that when he does Morgan Freeman, his Morgan Freeman is outstandingly brilliant. It's a sort of a textured magnificent thing. He also does a, an equally good uh, Sir Ian McKellen. And he said that <laughs> what he finds is that when he, when he goes into Barbara he just goes very quiet, just as you were describing yeah. there, you're leaning into the microphone. He oh, said yeah, that yeah. they're not laughing, but they are attentive. And what it does is it, it, he can almost hear, a, you know, this sort of a, wow, <laughs> which yeah. is a lovely feeling because you, you don't always have to get a massive laugh. You know, eventually, eventually you've got to go for the laughs. But there are there are yeah. moments, aren't there, when you're you're doing a voice, where actually just the production of it is is the thing. I think sometimes as well, especially in in some of the kind of gigs I've done, where you are Alex Lowe being just hysterically funny as Barry from Watford or Clinton Baptiste or whichever character he's doing that night, emceeing. Yeah. And then you got people, comedians coming on, and then some mad Paul Putner coming on, do some bonkers Frankie Tan act. And then I think it's quite nice for a crowd to just pull back a bit. And even though you're still coming in with the laughs and, you know, my, my little features that I do, the, the, the Noel Coward rehab and all that sort of stuff, they'll get the laughs. But the stuff in between is a little bit, there's just something, a moment where they can relax a bit and they don't feel like, oh, we've got to, you know. So I yeah. think sometimes crowds feel a bit of a pressure to, you know, oh, this guy's come on and we've got to support him and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And actually when they feel like, oh, we can pull back a bit now, yeah. you sort of feel a bit of a relief. <laughs> for them, you know. I, I love this. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by Noel Coward doing rehab. How do you even get into that? Give, give me a burst. I must have a burst of it's, that. I'll give you a little hint if you like. I've got my pen yeah. over here. here oh, goes. wow. They tried to make me go to rehab, but I said, no, no, no. Yes, I've been back, but when I'm back, then no, 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 no. I really haven't got the time, my dears, and if my daddy thinks I'm fine, they try to make me go to rehab, but I said no, no, I should have got go, I said no, no, no. <laughs> That's magnificent. Absolutely <laughs> magnificent. I love that. And, and you're, the, you're my first um, musically accompanied guest on ah, making an good. impression so uh, that's a first thank you very much for that uh, yeah, as you said I mean, that's that's the classic impressionist trick of of taking 
X and putting him in some situation or have him do some other thing that just is completely outside their normal experience. I don't know why I'd be fascinated to know how well it would go down in other countries, how well an American audience would go there, for instance. I don't know, but certainly a, a British thing. We love that thing of somebody doing something they shouldn't be doing. Yes. Or they, that classic game of one song to the tune of another. I've done it so many times in so many different ways, and it always gets a laugh. Yes. I did. One thing I used to do, um, I always used to finish with, was Macca again. And Jules would say to him, um, what, what do you think is uh, the most important part of a song? Is it the, the words or the music? And he'd say, well, you know, take a classic song like Imagine, for instance, by John, you know. What if you took the music of that and put it with the words of something like, you know, when I'm cleaning windows? So I would actually do that. I imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No well below us, above us, only sky. You would say I'm a dreamer, I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world can be as one. And that always, hey, they'd love that. And then you reverse it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the words of when I'm cleaning windows to the music, imagine. And then at the end of it, I'd get them all to choose what they preferred. And uh, yeah, for some reason, they always go for that. And Yeah. There's always something in musical impressions, sung impressions. Um, I used to do, you know, Sting, uh, George Michael at one time. I even did, I even did Michael Jackson, God help me. It was a horror, horror show. But there is something in that that if you've got enough in the song to to hook them in, they could usually a familiar song, and then you parody yeah. it and do it in the, in the impression. You're going to get a round of applause as long as you've got a you know decent out, decent punchline, or something like that. You're going to get a round of applause. It's a great way in and a great way out of an act. Well, actually, that it reminds me of something else that Alastair McGowan used to talk about, especially in the writing of impressions he used to say there's always the different bases of it that an audience first of all want to see you just doing the person so they recognize the person and he said this about um, Beckham for instance first of all they did the Beckhams and the audience went ha 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 that's the Beckhams as we know them so mm. Dave was you know a little bit thick and all that and then he said but the next thing you've got to do is reverse it so then suddenly they had the whole, the next series, I think David was suddenly incredibly clever and intellectual and sort of stuff, wasn't he? Yes, that's right. And from, the, from then, you've just got to take them off into another level. They've got to make it kind of surreal or whatever, you know. And I think with, with the doing the songs like that, it's a mixture of those two. They recognise the song, they go, I know that song, and then you twist it for them. Yeah. And it just pulls them in some way. It presses some sort of button. I've been doing these silly things on Twitter, calling myself, when, when this uh, awful thing started... I became the Corona Groove Monster <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> no idea. I suppose it's a way of just cheering cheer myself up, apart from anything else, and other people, and doing TV themes in other styles and all that kind of stuff. And you get this huge response for it. I ended up going on Australian radio <laughs> talking to people. Did you really? And they're saying, oh, thank you so much for what you're doing. And think, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm coming in here. I'm, I'm singing Grange Hill in the style of whoever, you know. Yeah, again, it, it's just something. Um, I did the Swedish Chef the other night, singing uh, "Imagine" in this kind of silly way, and it was all. And people are going, "Oh, it's lovely! Oh, it really cheered me up, and it's really, you know, all that sort of stuff." And you think, well, if that's what people like, yeah, well. <laughs> 
there's an awful lot of comedians and impressionists getting themselves onto social media to, to almost, yeah. a, isn't it like cathartic, a, a venting of this skill, this ability, this, you know, this entertainment uh, kind of bug or scratching that yeah. itch, isn't it? And there's some great stuff out there at the moment. I think there's a two-way thing going on. I think people genuinely are wanting to keep other people's peckers up. And, of course, that's part of the job, isn't it? You go out there and doing stand-up and things. And you love hearing people laugh and you love them, especially when they say to you things like afterwards, oh, I had an operation last week or, you know, a relative of mine died the other month and that. this has really cheered me up. You love that yeah. feeling of giving them that, sure. that sort of service. And then at the same time, I guess we're sort of trying to validate us, validate ourselves as well, keep ourselves in there, remind yeah. people that we still exist. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But there are some incredible new talents coming through and through things like TikTok. Now, there's an yeah. incredible woman, Sarah Cooper, doing her... The lip sync thing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And that's another form of impressionism in a way. I mean, she's not doing the voice, but she's yeah. made this character. Um, and I love all that. I mean, I just think it's fascinating the way it's all going. And we seem to be going towards bite-sized things. Mm. One bites of of stuff, you know. Do you, think, do you think it'll affect the way entertainment is presented in the future? You know, if we assume we're coming out of this at some point uh, are comedy clubs just going to go back to what they were is entertainment generally going to go back to what it was or because you mentioned the difference in the, the dead ringers presentation right now as opposed to when you're doing it you know doing a bigger performance in front of an audience things things will just revert to where they were well i i, I was talking to my wife about this the other day i wonder if variety is going to make a comeback because I'm thinking about when it's all over, a lot of, sadly, a lot of our theatres will have gone bust or will take a long time to come back. People will want to go out. People will want to see stuff. Yeah. And I think combine that with the fact that we do seem to be heading more towards bite-sized chunks of entertainment. We love mm. switching on things and seeing somebody doing 30 seconds of something incredibly funny or maximum two-minute video. We love that. I think that this could be the time for variety in sort of a, a form of sort of music hall in a way. You might see them coming on yeah. in two minutes, you know, which would be good. It would be great. Yeah. It's all, all uncharted territory, really, isn't it? And we we, yeah. we, we wait to see what will happen. We, we just hope we get the chance. Um, <laughs> going back now to your youth, were you always doing voices? Were you in the, the classroom? You were doing the teachers, uh, doing whoever was on telly at that time when you were a kid? Or were you... You know, was that something, a little skill that you kept yourself? I Yeah, I used to do uh, the Muppets. My uh, mum and dad were uh, used to run little sort of charity gigs up the church and I would do my Muppet show. And I also, the first time I remember doing an impression for somebody and getting a laugh for it was doing my nan's friend, Mrs. Poulter, and she used to do this thing of whenever she got up out of the chair, she would carry on talking and it was a great effort and she would keep straining as she got up. <laughs> And then she would sit down again and she was talking like this. And she'd say, well, I saw a lovely thing on my telly the other And I used to do that for my nan. And she used to go, oh, you are wicked. Oh, you are wicked. But she'd be laughing and yeah. saying I was, well, I was wicked. And that was my first memory of getting a laugh for mimicking somebody. And then, of course, at school, I remember being on coach trips and sitting at the front of the coach and uh, commentating on, on the coach driver saying, and he's gone round the corner and they've spun off and all this sort of stuff back in the Murray Walker days. <laughs> Yeah. And then getting to, um, I, I went to a, a drama school, central school, 
and you could get quite a bit of kudos for for mimicking the the, the drama teachers, the directors. And there were a few that I did. That I mean, the guy we used to have, and he used to speak as if he was correcting himself all the time. He had this thing of uh, yeah, yeah, mm, like this. And he used to tell these uh, made-up kind of stories about stuff, and we never believed him. <laughs> he used to tell rubbish. But you always got to, you know, you always got a good laugh for yeah. those. You get a bit of kudos for, you know. There's this odd thing, isn't there, that that although I don't think there are, in the great scheme of the sort of the comedy firmament, there aren't that many impressionists. Lots of people who can do a few voices and, and, and mimic, but, you know, pure impressionists are fairly thin on the ground. And yet yeah. audiences absolutely, when they hear a voice that chimes, they are helpless. <laughs> but it's your, it's your superpower, isn't it? It's a superpower. And, it doesn't, and in any environment, a, a dinner party, down at the pub, on a stage, it just yeah. seems to knock people out. What was your first sort of celebrity impression, the first recognisable voice, you know, outside of the, the family environment? I think it was probably Stan Laurel because I loved um, Laurel and Hardy when I was growing up. So I used to watch them with, with my granddad and I used to do, I used, used to do sort of Stan for him. I th- and I still do. I love doing Stan <laughs> and people still love you to, to see yes. it, you know, probably him. I should think, but I think we all watched Mike Yarwood, didn't we? And we, I probably copied yeah. quite a few. <laughs> quite a few for things. sure. Yeah. You know, I, never, I was probably the only one who never did Frank Spencer. The Stan Laurel one's an interesting one because it's a, it became a kind of a hybrid accent, didn't it? He was an Englishman yes. who went to America, and I always find I always used to find those accents particularly difficult. Yeah, I couldn't quite decide whether I'm using in that instance. Am I using an American A sound? Am I using a an English one? Is it somewhere in between? Is it Mid Atlantic? I don't know. So how did you? Well, I, I love watching, for instance, there, there are some uh, interviews with him uh, in, I guess, must be sort of early 50s. And he's, he's sounding pretty old. And uh, in, in those ones, there's a sort of kind of quite languid, quite long vowels and all that sort of stuff, you know. And he, mm. But he sounds slightly bored of himself by then, you know. <laughs> and doesn't really <laughs> have to be talking to this fairly, you know. Yeah, all the English seems to have, have gone when you hear yeah. him in those later interviews i mean he was yeah. there from when did he go over he must have gone about 1912 or something like that yeah he's there for most of his life really there's sometimes when he's talking to him there's a babadip babadip it's almost like a sort of that kind of thing but it's yeah. very very flattened because he's using his sort of english vowels but it's very and so you can hear i can always hear little hints of them of the american coming in there uh but it's it's just a little hint of it but obviously i think that must have grown as he got you see, your, your intention was to become an actor. Uh, the voices yeah. were very much your speciality bit. Hey, I'd quite often, if I was in a show like we did these Dick Parton shows down at Croydon and the Warehouse, which is now sadly defunct like a lot of other small um, regional theatres, and I would, very, I would very often be playing 30 characters or something within a show, and you're oh. in and out getting changed all the time and playing instruments, all this sort of stuff. And sometimes you just, you just want a quick voice you can come in and quick, you don't want to be going, oh, my God, what's that voice I do? And you go, well, I'll, play, I'll base him on him. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll make him, 
I'll make him a sort of young Peter O'Toole. And I come in, you've already got three lines as his character. And you come in and you just do this sort of Lawrence of Arabia character, and then you're off. And then the next one, you come in and you go, oh, I'll make him a bit of rosity, you know. And, yes, would you mind? and you get a nice laugh from the crowd because they yeah. recognise you. Yeah. Yeah. And off you go. Yeah. So I used to use it quite a lot in, in um, comedy, in, in, in acting, yeah. But yeah, it was a, a sideline, really, until, until the McGowan moment. You used uh, impressions in stand-up. Were you, you, you're still doing stand-up or up until lockdown well, anyway? Yeah, well, I haven't for a little while. But mm. yeah, yeah, a few years, maybe about five, ten years ago, I was doing quite regularly. And up at Edinburgh and things with Lewis McLeod. And, yeah, as I say, Alex Lowe, Steve Furr, that kind of crowd, you know. Would you now call yourself a dedicated impressionist? Or do you still see yourself as somebody offering lots of different things? So obviously your music... I know you write as well. You write comedy, but would, would you say impressions has become the main, the focus of your uh, professional well, career? I mean, it would have been this year because we had the Dead Ringers series. We we also had a tour, and we were going to Edinburgh, <laughs> and so yeah. you know. But of course, obviously, all that that stuff. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I'm as dedicated as say um, Mr. Coulter or Mr. McLeod, who. Probably our number one job for them is impression and voiceover. I'm mainly actor who does voices, I would say. What kind of voices do you find difficult and why? Well, I've found recently with the strain of doing a lot of animations that a lot of the bottom part of my voice can be quite difficult to get to. Mm -hmm. So somebody like uh, Boris Johnson would be quite difficult for me to get those notes although i could probably if i really studied him get the rhythms or something but 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 to get the tone right would be a bit of a struggle for me because yeah i so i've done a lot of um little animations and things where, where you're like, oh this sort of character oh no oh you're falling around and go oh and you're doing that yeah. for you know eight hours a day and you come out and you go, oh. and it's taken a bit of a toll so so yeah those kind of yeah the more bassy characters are, are a bit of a struggle i have to say yeah are they Impressions that you used to do because your voice is changing that you yeah. do that you feel now that you you can't get away with. Well, I suppose your kind of voice list changes as you go, doesn't it? As well, I mean, mm. if you look back at what you would have sent off to people ten years ago. I mean, most of them they were dead or retired or yeah, know? yeah. In twenty sixteen, I had my main characters on Dead Ringers. I was David Cameron, and I was seemed to be getting away with that all right. And I had Roy Hodgson, which I loved doing. He was a oh, he's terrific. He's, he's <laughs> wonderful. He's one of my favourite. He's a gift, isn't he? He's a gift. And that yeah. paper was pointed out to me by the, the writers uh, Ed Amston and Tom Coles, who are the new uh, Tom Jameson and Nev Fountain, and uh, they pointed out to me that he has two R's. He has his Rooney R at the beginning of the words, his Rooney, but then he has his very R for the middle of the words. Yes, he has. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. He's R. <laughs> yeah. I had him. I had, who else did I have? I had, and I ended up with Tim, um, who was the Lib Dem leader, Farron. He was the only one I had left after, to, because in 2016, obviously, so many celebrities, we lost so many celebrities, half yeah. of those voices went. And then I was, I think I, I was uh, Eric Robson and... Um, uh, Gardner's question time, he retired. Cameron went, all my politicians went. So I've got nobody, at least I've got Tim Farron. And then the next day, <laughs> Tim Farron resigns. Oh, God. 
<laughs> so then actually what happened was I wrote to Bill Dare and I said, listen, I realise in this series I'm going to be playing a lot of generics, what we call generics, you know, I'm, you know, man on the street, interviewer and all that sort of stuff. So that's fine. Is there anyone you want me to look at? He said, well, look at some of the people who are sort of behind the leaders who might come through. So I looked at people like John McDonnell, David Davis, obviously. And I ended up getting quite a few characters that came through because they were people that John and Lewis weren't necessarily looking at because they weren't the stars. Because, they, yeah. you know, they already had all the, all the, the big guys because they were yeah. brilliant doing them. And so I managed to bag a few characters by just looking at the people who were kind of just behind the front bench. They always worked their way through in the end. They, they too. I think one of the great things you, you can do as an impressionist is do the voice that no one's done before. Or, yeah. or the, you know, the, for whatever reason, it's it's either just coming into vogue or it's been disregarded as something, you know, you know people can't do it. It's it's too vague. It's too generic. It's it, There's nothing to really find in yeah. the voice that allows you to, to impersonate it. And then suddenly you hear somebody do a voice that no one's ever done before. You think, oh, God, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can do that. It, it is possible. Have you got voices like that? I mean, it sounds like you've, well, you've been I, I, nurturing I, I this. Most of us probably regret not having jumped on uh, Trump as early as Lewis McLeod did. I mean, he got him so well, yeah. so early on. You know, we all watched him, and then as it's gone on, we go, "Oh, why didn't I do that?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a, oh yeah, there's a, um, tell you something I've always wanted to do, but I've never noticed. Tom Hanks. Oh, Occasionally, wow. I, if yeah. I do, if I do, uh, you are a toy. I can sort of get close to or something, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, I have to be able to get him because no, I don't know anybody else who can do him. Uh, no, I, I've tried, and I I've can't get near it. Again, it's, that's one of those that uh, about it's in a croaking yeah. thing, isn't it? It's somewhere near the yeah. back. And I used to do oh Wilson, oh Wilson, and, and I thought well, that yeah. sounds a bit like him, but I don't know where to go from there <laughs> with that. <laughs> Have you ever done impressions of famous people to their faces or with them in the audience, something like that? I learnt quite early on not to do it there was a at um when i was actually at drama school there was uh one of the directors one of our teachers who was a really great guy and very encouraging of me but he did have a specific way of speaking and of forming sentences and i and i impersonated him and one day we were all together and friends said, oh do your impersonation of him i said no 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 i don't think he'll like it he said, no 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 go in he will and i did it and he looked quite he looked a little bit upset and he walked up and I thought, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. So then I saw him a few days later and he was being a bit, you know, offish with me. And I said, you know, I'm, you know, when I did that impression of you the other day, he said, oh, did you? I said, yes. <laughs> I, I said, you know, it was kind of an out of affection. And he said, he said, remind me, how did it go? And you, <laughs> I did it again. Didn't learn and your lesson. Right. Said, yeah. right. I see. Thank you. And off he went. And then uh, from then on, and I, I won't. And very often I'll have friends go, you know, if I do an impression of a friend, for instance, and another friend says, oh, do your impression of him. I, I just say no now. It's a danger yeah. area. Because yeah. they'll, always go, they'll always do a sort of laugh and look like they kind of enjoyed it. But you know, deep down, you've picked on something they don't like about themselves. I think it probably depends if you're doing it from a, a cruel place or you're doing it from a place of, of yeah. love and admiration. I, I used to do Frank Bruno. You know what I mean? And I ended up doing a show with him. I know he's not going to hit me, but there's something about that impression that to me was cruel. It was mean. 
As it happens, I think he probably would have taken it okay. But at the time, it just felt like I'm, I'm finding things that people laugh at about you rather than the things people laugh with you about. That, yeah. that was the sense I had of it at the time. Maybe, That's maybe wrongly. The danger. Mm. That's always the danger that, that, that they're going to think that you've done this because you've sat around together and you've mocked this person and gone, doesn't yeah. it sound like this? Yeah. And I think there's always that little thing in their mind of why are they, why are they doing this? Why are they having, making, you know, you're making fun of me. <laughs> um, yeah. John Glover, I remember, told me a story about when he, he got on a lift with Chris Eubank. And Eubank, and it was quite a long journey, apparently. And, and Eubank was sort of staring at him and ended up saying, um, you're John Glover, aren't you? And he, he said, yes, you do my voice on, on the spitting image. And he, and he said he just felt this bead of sweat running down his back. And he said, yeah. um, um, yes. And apparently he said to him, I wouldn't like to be in your position He's going to strangle me. He's going to kill me. And he said, um, why not? And he said, I would not like to be an actor in the theatre of the arts. And that was his response. Apparently. He said, you must be very brave. You have to be very brave. And he said, he sent out this kind of wave of relief. Oh, my God, he's not going to kill me in a lift. <laughs> Duncan Wisby, this has been uh, fantastic fun. I've really enjoyed meeting you and hearing your voices and your, about your process and your career. It's, uh, it's been great. And uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed it as much as I have. Duncan, thank you. And uh, to everyone who's been kind enough to listen to Making an Impression, uh, come back next time. And for now, goodbye. You can subscribe to Making an Impression on all the major podcast platforms. And why not leave a review? Follow us on Twitter at Making an Impress One. We've got a Making an Impression Facebook page. And our website is www.makinganimpression.com.